Thanks for listening to the Cool Church Podcast. We're praying that wherever you are on this journey, that this message encourages you. And we wanted you to know that you were created out of love. And now, here's today's message with our very own Pastor Terrence Wilson. Amen, amen. Man, I'm excited to preach. There's so many great things that are happening. Let me tell you what I'm really excited about. So last year, you could clap for this, we saw 1,030 people get saved. That's good. Y'all, this is only the fourth week of church. In three weeks, do you know that we have seen 135 documented salvations at this church? In three weeks between these campuses. But I'll give you something even better that, let me see if, I, I, if my math is going to math right today, that 58 of those people are getting baptized today. 58, y'all? Some people don't see 58 people get baptized in a year. Only took us three weeks. That shows me the grace of God on this house. So we're going to see 20 people get baptized over here. And another 38 at the other. Oh, Lord Jesus. Hallelujah. God is so good. We got so much to be thankful for. Amen. So we're going to keep on going. We're going to keep on growing. And we're going to keep waking up every day, like my wife said, to make the devil mad. Amen. If God's starting us like this, how many of you know? He that began a good work in us shall bring it to completion. He shall finish it. Amen. If this is how we start, I can't wait to see how we end. And I want to give a shout out real quick to all the folks. We had over 800 people, at least that I could see on Zoom, that joined us every day for 21 days of prayer and fasting. And y'all, this is day 21. We made it to the finish line. If you're excited that you finished, make some noise. Some people got the steak on the fire at home. Just wait. You got, <laughs> you got the food waiting. He says, sundown, I'm about to turn up in Jesus' name. Hey, I'm proud of you all. The spiritual discipline that we exercise in the first 21 days is going to carry us through all of the 365 days of the year. Amen? Amen. Last thing I'm going to say is, I know you saw that quick thing about the uh, Men's and Women's Summit. How many of y'all was here for the Men's and Women's Summit last year? Just kind of wave at me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was actually the first time that the Cool Church and the Fountain Church came together to do something. See, y'all ain't know what was happening, but me and Pastor Lomax was being sneaky. We were trying to bring y'all together to see if y'all actually like one another, and it looks like it worked out. Amen? So this year, we're going to do the Fountain, the, uh, excuse me, the, uh, the Men's and Women's Summit as one church, amen, and we're going to do it right here. It's going to be great. We're going to pour into you like never before. We're going to feed everybody. We're going to have worship. We're going to pray, but we're going to get some leadership downloads. Listen, how many of y'all want to be a leader out there? How many of you are a leader out there? This conference is for you, amen? This summit is for you. It's on February 24th. Perfect. Register today. We got the early bird price today. It's $35 today. Next week, it's going up to 50 So if I was you, if you like to save money, do it. Look at your neighbor and say, today. Look at your neighbor and say, today. Look at your other neighbor and say, he was talking about you. Today, amen? It's going to be a blessing for you. If you don't sign up here, you can sign up in the lobby. So, how many of y'all ready to uh, hear a word? I'm ready to preach one. And it's going to be a little shorter because I want to get outside and, and see people get baptized. Amen? I, I, I want to I party today. So if you got your Bibles, I want you. First, we're going to read our verse of the year in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20. But then we're going to flip a few chapters over to 2 Corinthians 12, verses 9 and 10. But first, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20. Can everybody read this verse with me? This is our verse for the year. For no matter how many promises God... Oh, I'm going to start over. Because I ain't, I ain't give you a countdown. Y'all wasn't ready. Here we go. One, two, three. For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. And so through him, the amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. And all God's people said... Now, I will read 2 Corinthians 12, 9 and 10. What's up, online campus? I love y'all. Y'all can keep up with me on the screens as well. 2 Corinthians 12, 9 and 10 says, But he said to me, 
And this is why I know God's word is true. I didn't even tell my wife what I was preaching today and she already used this verse. That means that God is trying to say something to us. I like to say God has a stuttering problem, which means he's going to keep repeating himself till you hear it. Amen. So he, here it is again for you. Second Corinthians 12, nine and 10. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in your weakness. But therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weakness, in insults, in hardships, in persecution, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. And God's people said... Mm -mm -mm. I'm excited about that. So if you're taking notes on this fifth birthday, I've entitled the message this. More than enough. More than enough. Let's pray. Father God, once again, I thank you for this day. For this is the day that you have made, God. Let us rejoice and be glad. And God, I thank you that you are the God of more than enough. And God, I pray that as the earth began to spin on its axis, you knew each and every human that was going to be in this place or watching online today. God, I pray that I would lie down as you rise up. Don't let these words be my own, but let them come directly from your throne room of grace. God, open hearts, minds, and ears to be open and receptive to a word that will always and only be about Jesus. God, I pray for the one, the one that needs to hear this word the most. God, I pray by the time this is all said and done, you make a formal introduction to let them know that you love them, God. I pray that by the time this is over, somebody meets Jesus. I pray these things in Jesus' mighty name. And all God's children said, all God's children said, give God one more shout of praise. Come on. I'm excited. Hey, hey, when you go out to the lobby, listen, if you want to wear your amen literally on your sleeve, you can go out and get some of the amazing merch so that you can represent wherever you go. And the church said, because now, see, when we wear this amen, we know it means more than just so be it. We know that it, it signifies the amen. His name is Jesus Christ, and he loves you. And when he says it, it's because he's the only one that is guaranteed to fulfill the promise. So when you say amen, you're saying, I trust all the promises of God. Amen? Amen. Amen. So it's the fifth birthday, y'all. Happy birthday, cool church. Today we're celebrating five years, and as my lovely wife already said, five in biblical numerology is the number of grace. Grace. I love it because five, it symbolizes God's grace, his favor, and his goodness towards humanity. How many of you know you serve a good God? God is, God is good. And all the time, God is not what he allows. God is good. See, some people confuse God with what he allows. And just because you don't like what he allows, you think he is not good. But the Bible I read tells me that God causes all things to work together for the good of those that love him and are called according to his purpose. Amen? So even when you don't like it, God is still good. Even when you don't understand it, God is still good. And his grace... And his mercy is on you. If you believe that, say amen. amen. We see the number five symbolizes so many different places in the Bible. What is God trying to let us know? From Old Testament to the New Testament, God's grace is there. God's grace is always there. If you read the Psalms, for example, there's over 100 books in the Psalms. But did you know that Psalms is broken down into five parts? Five. Representing once again. The number of grace. If you break down the five parts, the first part, first set of books talks about humanity. The next set of books talks about deliverance. The next set talks about sanctuary. The next talks about the reign of God. And then the end of the Psalms talks about the word of God. 
five, broken up into five parts. Once again, a total picture of God shows his grace. All God is a bunch of, is, God's a lot of things. But if you take the culmination of who he is, it's always going to be grace. Five was also used in the Old Testament to talk about the building of the tabernacle. In the tabernacle of the temple of God, they were always burning incense. Do you know how many ingredients it took to make the special oil for them to burn the incense? Five. Five things were mixed in there. But as you read through the Old Testament and you hear about the building of the tabernacle, listen to this, how it was built. It was five, the wood for the tabernacle, watch this, was five cubits long and five cubits wide. The height of the court was five cubits high. There was supposed to be five curtains in the tabernacle. There was supposed to be five pillars in the tabernacle, five sockets in the tabernacle, five bars were all needed for the structure of the tabernacle. Even in building physical structures, God wanted you to see his grace. God said, I'm in everything. Even, even in the inanimate things, I'm in those things because I'm the creator of those things. We also see grace show up in the Ten Commandments. I know that sounds counterculture because the commandments are the law, but there's Ten Commandments. But if you split ten in two, what does it equal? Do you know you're actually supposed to separate the commandments in half because the first set of commandments does something different than the second set of commandments? The first set of commandments speaks to our relationship with God and his authority and his delegated authority. That's why it says things like, once again, his delegated authority, honor your mother and your father and your days shall be long on this earth. He said, hey, I gave them authority. You better listen to them because when you listen to them, it's like listening to me. And that's a, that's a commandment with a promise attached to it. He also says, don't have any other gods before me. He's trying to make sure before... Before you ever have a relationship with somebody else, you need to make sure our relationship is okay. So the first set of commandments, the first five deal with our vertical relationship. You know what the second five deal with? Our horizontal relationship. Our second five of commandments teach us how to be a blessing to each other. If you love your neighbor, you don't steal from your neighbor. You don't kill your neighbor. You don't covet things from your neighbor. Right? I love that because the first five commandments teach us about our vertical relationship with God. And the second set of commandments teach us about our horizontal relationships with each other. Do you see what I just did there? I just created a picture for you of the cross. And what does the cross show humanity? It shows it grace. So even in the commandments, we're catching a picture of grace. I love it. In the New Testament, five recurs so many times, but I love five in the context to the Apostle John. We know John. Did you know that John wrote five books of the New Testament? He wrote the Gospel of John. He wrote 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, and he also wrote Revelations. Do you know what the central theme of all five of those books are? The grace of God. John is called the love disciple because often he talks about the love of God and in talking about the love of God, he's trying to show us God's love for us because he has mercy and grace on us. So five is a reoccurring theme throughout scripture because once again, from Genesis to Revelation, God wants to show man that he has grace on them. Grace. I love it. Five, once again, in biblical numerology is known as the number of grace. And I thought it would be fitting to explore what the term grace means on this fifth birthday because five represents grace. So I figured I'd go back to the beginning. Something that we talked about in the beginning of the year was in 2 Corinthians 1.20. It says the promises of God are yes and amen. I said, you know what? On this birthday, let's revisit 2 Corinthians. But now we're going to go a little further in the book. And Paul, he talks about grace in this book in a very interesting manner, unlike any of the other uh, books of the Bible. And before we really understand what grace means in 2 Corinthians, we first must understand the context. Amen? How many know if you want to understand God's word, you got to know the because people take stuff out of context and they have destroyed so many lives by taking God's word out of context. We will never be those people. Here, hey, never take my word for it. Always take God's word for it. Go back, reread this and make sure you have stuff in context. Amen? So, I, I love this because 2 Corinthians, Paul, the Apostle Paul writes this 
And I'm going to give you the three reasons that he wrote the book. One, he wanted to explain why he did not go back and visit the Corinthian church like he promised. He made a trip to Macedonia, and on his way there, he makes a trip. It was a difficult one because Paul was battling all these false prophets and false apostles, and, and, and he was like, yo, this is, this is too stressful. I ain't got no time for this. He goes to Macedonia, does God's work there, and then he writes them a letter. He's like, I can't come back to y'all because I want to come back to y'all with love, but it's too much nonsense going on there, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to write you to let you know my, the depths of my love for you, but I want to come back on good terms. I don't want to come back in conflict because the church of God is supposed to be unified not divided. Amen? So he lets them know how much he loves them, but he explains why he didn't come for this second trip. So after that, the second thing that he does, he, he wants to raise an offering. So by the time you get to the middle of the book, he's trying to raise an offering for who? He's trying to raise an offering for, the, for the, uh, God's people in Jerusalem because at this time in history, there was terrible torment for God's people, man. They were being killed left and right. And Paul, what he does, he brings up the church of Macedonia. He's like, y'all, this is a small but mighty church. Don't nobody give like the Macedonian church. And he's like, y'all have more affluence and influence than them. Y'all should be out giving them. Why? Because our brothers and sisters sisters are suffering and we must band together to be a blessing to them. Amen? That's the second reason that he writes it. But the last, Paul is fighting to defend his apostleship. These so-called, what he called super apostles. Yeah, Paul, Paul was petty. He knew that they weren't apostles, but he he was calling them out. He's like, these, these fake super apostles have come along. And they're preaching all this doctrine to you that the church did not start with. They're preaching about gospel that is denying that one, Jesus ever really existed. And they're preaching the gospel where they're taking grace for granted. Because these super apostles have, 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 have been said to reach such a level of spirituality that they can do whatever they want and they will not be judged. They were taking the grace of God for granted. Paul was like, no, 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 no. Y'all, 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 y'all ain't doing this right. So Paul's like, let, let me, let me let you understand what this apostleship is really about. This is not an office to be played with. God calls you to that office. It's not just a title you can throw around. And if you take this, you better be able to take everything that comes with it. Don't just take the glory. You got to take the trial that comes with it. I love this because by the time we get to chapter 12 of Corinthians, Paul is in deep defense of his apostleship by these cowards that have talked all this nonsense in his absence. And I love, I love uh, uh, 2 Corinthians because like, this is like the most in-depth picture we get of Paul, like into his personal life, into some of his history. Uh, most theologians will say that 2 Corinthians is, is, is the most autobiographical book of Paul. If you want to like really understand who he was and what his perspective was, what kind of temperament he had, it's like read in the second Corinthians and Paul says things in his writings that allude to who he actually is. So with that, I want to look at the importance of grace now in the ministry of the apostle Paul. As we get to take a more in-depth look at him, I want to see and show you how grace was a very important part of who he was. Now, there's some truths and understandings that Paul had about grace that I believe are going to help us move forward as we endeavor beyond year five to build God's kingdom. I'm here to tell you, I don't want to build it without the grace of God. Paul knew he could not build God's kingdom without the grace of God. And there's things that he alludes to about grace that will help us continue to build it. And if you believe that, say amen. amen. So the first thing you have to understand is this. We need space for grace. We need space for grace. Look at your neighbor and say, give me some space. Look at your other neighbor, the one that you actually do like and say, I need some space, please. We need space for grace. Now, before we get to the text, 2 Corinthians 12, 9 and 10, I got to tell you what's happening before it. Paul, he is once again fully defending himself against these super apostles. And he starts out by talking about a vision that he has. Why? Because what these super apostles would do, they would stand up in front of congregations like this and they would try to impress the crowd with these so-called miraculous visions that they were having. 
They was talking a bunch of stuff that sounded super spiritual to impress people. How many of you know if you're looking for the applause of man, that's all you ever going to get? You don't get into this ministry so that people can applaud you. You get into this ministry so that the heavens can applaud you. But these super apostles, oh, I saw the Lord. I spoke to him and I saw him on the throne and be impressed with me because my relationship with God has allowed me to get to this level that you will maybe get to one day perhaps. But you know, right now I am here. So worship me. Paul's like, y'all are stupid. And Paul, Paul is so humble, like he brags, but it's a humble brag. Because like, here's the thing about Paul, when he bragged, he could actually back it up. But it was a humble brag. So much so, he speaks about somebody else, but he's actually speaking about himself. We catch Paul talking about himself in the third person. And I know that could sound kind of weird, but he's trying, like what theologians have expressed and explained is that he doesn't want to bring in any attention on himself. So he speaks about a vision that he is that he had, but he says, I know a guy. You ever did that? Like you got an issue, but you're like, oh, my friend. Um. So he's doing, he's like, I know a guy that had a vision. Now he could be braggadocious and say, man, I had a vision that you would not believe. He doesn't do that. He's like, I know a guy. I know a guy. I need y'all to hear this. And he had a vision. And as a matter of fact, the vision was 14 years ago. Once again, showing a sign of Paul's humility. He didn't get the vision, and as soon as he got the vision, gave it to the people. He actually doesn't even want to talk about it. He's been holding this thing in for 14 years. Let me ask you something. If you had a vision where you talked to God, would you hold it in for 14 years? You telling everybody. Do you know what God told me? Not Paul. He didn't even want to talk about it, but he's using this vision to defend himself. He's like, I know a guy about 14 years ago, he had a vision and he was caught up in the third heaven. Now, a lot of times we hear that. It's like, oh, snap, we got levels to heaven. That's not what that was talking about. It's not what it was talking about at all. Back in the culture, when they said third heaven, you have to understand what that actually meant. They thought that there was three levels before you get to God, physical levels. So the first one would have been the atmosphere of the earth. So like the sky, that would have been one heaven. They weren't saying that that was actually heaven. They were just saying that, hey, there's the atmosphere. Then the second heaven, but they didn't think it was heaven, was the stars. And then the third heaven, it's like God's above all that. That's where you find God, right? That's where God lives. So once again, that was that was not to designate levels of heaven. I have to explain this stuff because sometimes you read this like, yo, three, three levels. I hope I get to the third one. Like, no, that's not what that's talking about. Just saying there's the sky, there's the earth atmosphere, there's stars, and then there's where God resides because our God is infinite. He rests beyond the things that we can see. He says, I knew a guy. He gets to the third heaven. And he sees things that are unbelievable. Doesn't get very descriptive about what he sees because he, he's not, he, he, once again, he's not trying to brag. And then he's like, that same guy heard some conversations, but I'm not going to tell you what the conversations were about. I want you to understand this. Paul had every right to brag about these visions, but he's trying to, de- he's letting you know that he had the vision so he knows, so he's, so he's letting the congregation know the stuff that you heard from these jokers, it's nothing compared to what I've seen. It's nothing compared to what I've seen, but I don't want to come off bragging, so I'm not going, I'm, I'm not going to be too descriptive about it. Now, I'm not going to be too descriptive about what I saw, and I'm definitely not going to tell you what I heard. I'm going to keep it to myself. Because those conversations were between me and God directly. I love this. He never says what he saw. He never says what he heard. He just lets them know, hey, these people you talk about, they ain't the only people that have visions. I have visions too, and mine are real. What Paul was really saying, I've had plenty of experiences with God to boast about, but I'd rather talk about my weakness. I got stuff I could brag about, but we ain't going to talk about that today. I would rather, it would be more befitting. This is how humble he is. I'd rather talk about my weaknesses instead of talking about my strengths. Why would Paul mention a vision that he did not want to talk about? This will bless some people because some people get something from God and the first thing you do is just blow your mouth open and tell everything. 
And the truth of the matter is, sometimes there are some things that God shows you and tells you that ain't for anybody but you. Stop revealing every, listen, I got dreams and visions 20 years down the line. I don't tell you about it because here's the thing with vision. You got to set the pace of the vision. If you tell people too much too soon, they may give up before you get there. Because when it ain't moving the way that they wanted to move, they be like, I thought you said. See, that's why I shouldn't have told you nothing. That's why I shouldn't have told you nothing. Because I know what God's doing, but because it ain't happening when you want to, now you think I'm a liar when I've just been a visionary. Don't tell everybody everything that God's got going on with you. Keep it to yourself. And I love, so why does God give Paul a vision he can't talk about? Because it wasn't for them, it was for him. Paul gave, God gave Paul something that he could see because he knew what he would have to go through and he knew he would have to look back on that to sustain him through it. Some of y'all going through hell on earth right now, but God has shown you something. He showed you in order to keep you. Do not despise small beginnings. Maybe you're not there right now. Maybe you're still on the road to get there. But when you got vision, you don't worry about the stuff that's happening around you because your eyes are fixed and focused on what is in front of you. I ain't got time to worry about the petty problems and issues around me because I got my eyes locked on the horizon line. I got my eyes locked on Jesus, the author and the finisher of my faith. When I don't like what's happening around me I look beyond me there are some things that God showed me that have allowed me and my wife to continue this for five years because I'll be honest sometimes I look around I'm like Lord for real like we got to keep doing this for real and you know what he says son remember what I showed you because I gave it to you to keep you when I knew you was going to go through something and you was going to fix your mouth to say, for real, God, I gave it to you so you could bless me and not curse me. I wanted you to see it so you could focus on it and not focus on the drama around you. I said this this morning in prayer. Leaders live in the future while everybody else lives in the past or present. And some people can't get past their past. They, they put it in a suitcase and try to drag it into the future with them. God say, let that go and go after what I showed you that I ain't show anybody else. He shows him this to sustain him. Stop bragging about what God has shown you because he's shown you to sustain you. Next, verses 7 and 8, then Paul, he talks about this thorn in his side. We're going to get to the grace, but you ain't going to understand the grace if you don't have the thorn. Paul talks about this thorn in his flesh. He never tells us what it is, though. But it's being revealed. He's, he's revealing something. Why? Because he's doing something these fake apostles would never, never would. He's not showing people his strengths. He's showing people his weaknesses. The fake apostles want to be praised. When the real ones know the praise does not belong to us, it belongs to God. What he's saying, let me show you how human I am so you, so, so, so you know you're not in this by yourself. The fake apostles want to praise. Look how perfect and great I am. Paul says, no, 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 no. Look at this thorn. Look at this thorn. I'm just like you. Don't put me on no pedestal. I rebuke pastoral worship in Jesus' name. Don't put me up there. Because as fast as you put me up there, you're going to tear me down. Look at my thorns, y'all. I, I, I got a thorn. Everybody has a thorn. That root word that was used for thorn. See, people look at thorns. You, you ever like held a rose? And you see the thorns? You ever like got like stuck your finger on her? He's like, ooh. When we talk about thorn, when we talk about these thorns, some people think like the thorn was like a needle prick. It was not like a needle prick. The word for thorn that is used there did not mean like a regular thorn. It actually meant like a tent peg. Like a peg that used to hold a tent in the ground. So he's like, man, I got this thorn in my side. Could you imagine a tent peg in your side? That's like impaling you. What was he trying to let you know? He was trying to let you know, like, hey man, I got some real deep-seated issues. 
this ain't just a prick. This thing goes deep. Like it's deep. And you have to understand that as much as I preach and I teach, I still got deep issues too. So 2 Corinthians 12, 7 says, there was given to me a thorn in my flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me. To buffet me. You know what buffet means? It means punched. So he's saying, he's saying this, buffet, it means punch. There's people who walk around and you see them in the church and you might be looking at one right now who got a big smile in their face on the outside. But if you can see my inside, my face is black and blue. My ribs, you have no idea because the enemy has buffeted me. Just because I wear it well don't mean I ain't been through something. Just because you can't see my pain doesn't mean I don't have pain. I love what Alan Redpath, the great theologian, said. He said, but perhaps you have lived long enough as I have to know that sometimes the most radiant face hides great pressure. And often the man that is being most blessed of God is being most buffeted by the devil. Sometimes you're looking at people and you want their blessing, but you don't know that they've been buffeted. You want the blessing, but not the buffet. You want the power, but you don't want to take the punch. We don't know what Paul's thorn was. And you know, that makes me glad. I'm so happy I have no idea. Theologians have tried to figure out what it was. Some said that it was like some specific form of malaria that day that he probably had that. Some said he could have had lust issues. Some said, like there's so many different theories. The Bible never says. So all of them are just theories. We have no idea what Paul's issue was. And I'm glad because if you knew Paul's thorn, you might make a mistake and dismiss your own. If we knew it, we might dismiss our own. Because let me tell you, I've been, I've been around humans long enough to know as soon as we know somebody else's problem, we compare their problems to our problems. And other people's problems could either make you feel better about your problems or worse. Because if you feel like their issue is greater than yours, then you don't end up feeling so bad no more. When God was like, no, you need to work that thing out. I ain't killed nobody, God. So you still need to work that lust out. You need to work that lying mouth out. You need to work out that negative spirit. But then, on the reverse side of that, if Paul's thorn isn't so bad, and then we start looking at him like this super apostle, then we start to look on ourselves not with pride, but with guilt and with shame. Because he's like, man, I'll, I'll never be like that. I could, I could never do that. Like, God, how do you expect me to live up to, to Paul? God says, Paul's just like you. He had an issue I'm not even going to tell you about. And I, I, I love this because the great Charles Spurgeon, another theologian, says, God wanted everyone with any kind of thorn in the flesh to be able to put themselves in Paul's shoes. Paul tells us about his thorn because we are supposed to empathize and understand and have compassion because we all have thorns too. Maybe you're perfect. I'll raise my hand today and say, I know I got some thorns. I know that God is still working on me. Still, you're the pastor. Still, he's working on me. See, we don't need to know about Paul's thorn because we all got thorns. And whether it's seen 
or unseen, God allows thorns to humble us. He allows a thorn in your life to give you humility. Why? This is now, now that I've given you that background, this is what 2 Corinthians 12, 9 is about. You should never read this verse again without the context of having a thorn. 2 Corinthians 12, 9 says, but he said to me, he said, my grace is sufficient. What does sufficient mean? Adequate for the purpose. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness so that Christ's power may rest on me. Yeah, if you're going to clap, clap. Come on. <laughs> Watch this. So God is, what he's actually saying is, I've allowed you, Paul, I've allowed you, Joanne, I've allowed you, Jody, I've allowed you, Al, I've allowed you to be afflicted because there's not enough room in there for me and your ego. I've allowed you to be afflicted, Terrence, because there is not enough room in your heart for me and your ego. I got to give you something to humble you. I got to give you something in order to make space. I love this. Now, if we look at grace and the actual definition, we have to understand grace is given to us to help humble us, right? So knowing that, God is saying, you got to acknowledge your weakness as Paul does to make space and I'll fill it with grace. If you acknowledge your weakness, your weakness will create space. And God says, don't worry about the space. I'm going to fill it with grace. Look at grace. Grace in the Greek is a word, karos. Karos, right? And this is what it means. It means of the merciful kindness by which God exerting his holy influence upon souls turns them to Christ, keeps them, strengthens them, increases them in Christian faith, knowledge, affection, and kindles them to the exercise of Christian virtues. If that was too complicated, here's a more simple definition for you. Grace is the unmerited favor of God. You can't earn it. You can't deserve it. There's nothing you can do but accept it. And that's why the old saints sing songs like Amazing Grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. How many of y'all are thankful for the unmerited favor, the grace of God that you can't earn, that you don't deserve, but he loved you so much, he gave it to you anyway. If you believe it, say amen. God just gives it to you because he loves you but in context to 2 Corinthians 12 9 grace is actually not used in that way that's the way that saves us and changes us but if you take that word and don't put it in the right context then that verse doesn't actually make sense so if he says but he said unto me, my unmerited favor is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in your weakness. It doesn't really go as well because there's a second definition of grace that's used in context to this specific verse. And I love it because once again, grace in the Greek, Carl's, the second definition that's used in context to this specific verse is the assisting and strengthening of his followers and ministers to bear their troubles. The assisting and strengthening of God's followers and his ministers to
you. It's the power of God's grace on my life. How do you stay humble when your influence is constantly growing? I'll tell you, it's the power of grace on our life. How do you continue to teach and preach even during moments of personal loss? I'll tell you, it's the power of God's grace on our life. How do you keep smiling and encouraging everybody when your family is always under personal attack? I will tell you, it is the power of God's grace on our life. For the power of grace on this ministry has created a space for us in the last five years to grow and thrive and flourish. Why? Because we know it is not about us, but it is his power that is made perfect in our weakness. And the grace of God is on us to do what he has called us to do. How you going to break generational curses? It's the power of God's grace on your life. How you going to restore your messed up marriage? It's the power of God's grace on your life. How you going to see your lost sons and daughters come home? It's the power of God's grace on your life. How you going to go to the office tomorrow and smile at your boss that keep picking on you? It's the power of God's grace in your life. If you believe it, say amen. It ain't just favor. Look at your neighbor and say, it's power. I need his power in my life. So I need to expose my weakness so that I could create space for the power of his grace. One last thing, and I promise you it's going to be quick. The second thing we get from Paul is not only do we need space for grace, we need struggle for strength. We need, some of y'all been running from struggle, from struggle when you need it. You need it. You need struggle for strength. 2 Corinthians 12.10 says, that is why for Christ's sake, I delight in my weakness, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. But when I am weak, then I am strong. Then, not before. When I am weak, then I am strong. Let me, let me see where the saints in the room at. You ever had a moment of weakness? How much time you got? I got one every day. A moment of weakness? Can I tell you about the very first day of Cool Church? Y'all, I had a real moment of weakness. It was January 27th, 2019. We had bounced around from place to place just trying to build up interest for the church. We went from a park to a hotel ballroom, to um, a, a fitness center, to a community space. And one time there was literally like a boxing ring and I had to talk like inside the boxing ring because that was the only space to me. We talked in all these crazy places just to gather team. Because you get this vision and this dream in your heart and you wonder like, God, what's going to happen? Who's going to show up? What's going what's gonna to happen? And finally, after getting a bunch of no's, I just can't, like, I'm really annoying. If you tell me no, I never believe you. <laughs> Got a bunch of no's at the school, and I realized the people that were saying no was not even the person with the power to say no, it was just gatekeepers. Sometimes you just got to keep asking until you get to the right person. That was for free. That ain't even come with the sermon. And we asked, and we asked, and finally we got a yes. And i never forget, first day, January 27th, 2019, we had the very first cool church service in New Renaissance Middle School in Miramar. And y'all, I was backstage that day, and all, all, all people kept running to tell me was all the issues we was having that day. Pastor, what about this? Pastor, what about this? I'm like, I don't know. I ain't never did this before either. <laughs> but the biggest issue we had is that the power kept going out. We were in a gym that we set up that Friday night. See, some of y'all complain about coming to church at 7 o'clock instead of in the morning. 
What happens when you got to lose your Friday night? We lost our Friday night for months setting up just so people could come to God's house on Sunday. And we set up, it worked on Friday night, we came in on Sunday, none of the power's working. And I'm like, devil, you a liar. How you gonna make sure, how you gonna try to mess with the power the day you know that we about to launch this church? Pastor, what are we gonna do? I'm like, I don't know, but I know God's gonna fix it. Service starts, power cuts on for a moment, halfway into praise and worship, place blacks out. No power, no light. I'm like, <laughs> I'm standing there with my wife. And everybody's like, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? And I, I remember saying a prayer to myself in that moment. I said, God, I ain't got nothing left, man. I did everything I know how to do. I, I got nothing else. Oh, man. Gosh, if y'all was betting about me crying, you won. <laughs> well, instead of me telling you what happened, let me just show you. Y'all look at this. you could hear what I said in that video because I said when the power went out spirit did come in and I said y'all these are the last attempts of a desperate enemy this is last because he knows he's already lost y'all that day I said God I got nothing I did everything I know and I promise you as clear as I can hear any other voice, I heard a voice in my spirit. And when I said, God, I got nothing, he said, son, don't worry. I got more than enough. I got more. Y'all that day, 1,020 people came to church on our very first Sunday. Y'all. The altars was full. The spirit came in. People got saved and changed by the power of Jesus Christ. Because in a moment of weakness, God allowed it to humble me so that I couldn't take the credit for getting those people that I couldn't take the credit for the spirit coming in. Because I said, God, I got nothing. He said, son, I got more than enough. There's two ways that God can relieve your struggle. He can either remove the load or he can strengthen your shoulders. And I don't know about you today. I don't want him to take it off of me. I want him to give me the strength to carry my prayer no longer is God move that mountain. It's God give me the strength to climb. Give me the intestinal fortitude to get around it. Or give me the strength to bust through it. I just know we serve the God that says when we ain't got enough he's got more than enough. You see that day I figured something out that day that has stayed with me for the last five years that there would be if today can't stop us there's no demon in hell that can stop us. God before us. Y'all, I just want to encourage somebody. The weaker you feel today, the more grace you need. So I feel weak. Oh, I can't go on no longer. Oh, oh, 
pass up to. That's great. Because you've made more space for God's grace to feel the weaker you feel, the more grace you need. And I'm here to encourage somebody today that God wants to strengthen you and he's more than enough through his grace for everything that you need. And I'm telling you, God ain't just got enough grace for me. He's got more than enough for all of us. Today, somebody needs to hear the word of the Lord is God's got more than enough. If your weakness is patience, with God's grace, you got more than enough. If your weakness is wisdom, with God's grace, you got more than enough. If your weakness is resources, with God's grace, you got more than enough. If your weakness is discipline, with God's grace, you got more than enough. If your weakness is health, with God's grace, you got more than enough. If your weakness is vision, with God's grace, you got more than enough. So don't let the lies of the enemy infiltrate your mind. When you feel weak, just know that when I am weak, then I am strong. Because God has used my struggle to give me strength to remind me that he is more than enough. If you believe it, say amen. But maybe today your weakness is forgiveness. You've been walking around with guilt. You've been walking around with shame. You say there's no way that God could ever forgive me. I got good news for you. If you need forgiveness, our God has more than enough. If you believe it, say amen. 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all from all from there is not one thing you can do that God will not forgive because he has more than enough forgiveness for you with every head bowed and every eye closed thank you so much for listening to hear more messages like this one please be sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel And if you like what you heard, please consider sharing with your friends because it helps so much. Don't forget to connect with us at our website, thecoolchurch.com. And be sure to follow us on Instagram and Facebook at We Are Cool Church. And always remember that you were created out of love.